I struggled to breathe. If I'd come upon a cobra, hood flared, deadly tongue flickering, I could not have been more transfixed. Yet once my eyes saw the shiny white poster board in its entirety, once my vision encompassed all of it, the cut-out pictures and story, the artfully pasted letters, the single stark sketch and the taped plastic bag, a sickening acceptance washed over me. The glistening cardboard had been folded in half to slip easily into the Postal Service's two-day red-white-and-blue priority mailer. No cover letter, no note, no return name and address, simply the decorated poster board. I opened the envelope casually, standing by the walnut butler's table in my narrow entryway. I had no sense of impending drama, no inkling that my life would never be the same. I unfolded the poster. There were six separate representations. The first was my late husband Richard's obituary with the accompanying one-column news photo and the caption, Richard Latimer Collins. A red pencil had underlined the words, Collins fell to his death at the remote cliffside home of Bell Erickson on the island of Kauai. Erickson is a legendary foreign correspondent whose credits include Vietnam, the Six-Day War, and El Salvador. I was swept by the hideous sense of emptiness I'd felt when I'd held a current newspaper in my hand, seen the story that spelled an end to the invincible joy of a happy marriage. I'd written obits in the course of almost a half-century as a newspaper reporter. That's how young reporters started in my early days. It became a quick, automatic ordering of the facts of a life, typewriter keys clacking. I didn't realize then the pain of seeing a loved one's existence reduced to lines of type. Survivors include his wife of thirty-nine years, Henrietta O'Dwyer Collins, his daughter Emily Collins Drake and her husband Warren, two grandchildren, Diana and Neil Drake. Collins was preceded in death by his son, Robert Latimer Collins. The second consisted of cut-out letters and numerals in two straggly lines, forming the dates March 30 and April 1. March 30 held no significance for me. April 1 was the day Richard died. I could never laugh again on April Fool's Day, a day meant for light-hearted games, silly teasing, elaborate jokes. Richard had loved April Fool's Day, and he and the children had outdone one another with straight-faced evocations of absurdities. Hey, Dad, did you see that huge bird that just flew by? Big as a boxcar. Richard looked inquiringly at Emily and Bobby. Bird? What bird? Emily grinned. Why, Dad, it's a favorite bird of yours. Really? Richard craned his head, peered out the window. Gosh, I don't see it. Then Bobby hung from the window, flapped his hand. Over there, Dad, over there. Richard peppered them with questions, but each time the bird flew by, he just missed it. Finally, he clapped his hands together and shouted, There it is. It has to be. The blue bird of happiness, right? I heard the children's hoops of glee and Richard's dramatic declamations as if they were here beside me, close enough to hug the three of them, Richard and Emily and Bobby. Then the happy voices subsided, plunged back into the recesses of my mind, there to be summoned but never again to sound in a careless present. The third was a magnificent photograph of a steep cliff, 
Lush vegetation in every shade of green, from palest jade to darkest emerald, glistened in bright sunlight. Silvery falls splashed over sharp black rocks. My hands trembled. The poster wavered. I didn't have to ask what cliff this represented, though I'd never seen the site where Richard died. The fourth was a clip from an advertisement showing two gloved hands, palms forward, fingers outspread. The brown gloves had the rich sheen and texture of expensive leather. The pulse thudded in my throat. Hands move at the direction of a mind, human choice, not chance, not accident. 